Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I am Gina L. Osborne, and I am truly excited about today's show. Our guest is Liz McKinley, a true pioneer who paved the way for so many other women in the male-dominated oil industry. Liz started her career right out of college in 1981, and she was the first female hired by Coke Industries at the commercial level. She navigated the old boys network being hazed on a routine basis till she decided to start her own company in 1995 and then turned that into a $200 million business. In addition to her staggering success, I respect Liz's humility, the courage she has to maintain her vulnerability, and her desire to support and be supported by women. Sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you, Gina. I'm glad to be here. I have never met a woman who is in the petroleum industry. So can you tell us a little bit about Pinnacle Petroleum and what you do? Uh, Yes, we're a wholesaler distributor. We're based in 17 states. Um, Our function in the marketplace is to break bulk. Uh, We buy from the refiners and sell to end users via truck, usually, and also at retail at the gas stations. So I'm going to ask you a question that I was asked when I was a brand new agent at the FBI Academy by some local chief of police. What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? (laughs) You know, I get to ask that all the time. And of course, is your husband in the business? Uh, Was your family in the business? Those are the next questions. What happened was I'm from Oklahoma. I went to school in Oklahoma. And so um, I was interviewing in college and I was a poor college student. I put, I worked my way through school. My business school sent out a book of resumes. So I got calls from companies to come interview and I'd always take them because I would make money on the deal. <laughs> you know, I think they paid like, I don't know, 16 cents a gallon or something. But for me, it was a lot of money and I just thought it would be good practice. And so I had taken an interview with a company called Coke Industries, K-O-C-H. It's uh, owned by the Coke brothers. It's the second largest held private company in in the United States. And uh, the Koch brothers are one of the wealthiest people in the United States. And so I drove up to Wichita and interviewed, and I was just so intrigued with everything that they had to say that I had already accepted a position with AT&T, but decided to rescind my acceptance and uh, take the position with the oil company. So it wasn't my dream or desire. I just... It was just kind of a serendipitous thing. So, and I, I, and I've never regretted it. And you were the first female hired by Coke Industries at a commercial level. 
That's correct. And, you know, back then, way back when, <laughs> you know, it was a privately held company. And certainly there wasn't any supplier diversity departments at that point or, you know, it wasn't a concern. So uh, I read an article, it's the, the least diverse industry in the United States. So it was a really big deal for them. I mean, it seemed to me it was a bigger deal to them than it was to me that they, they had this woman around <laughs> all of a sudden. This was all the way back in 1981. So you were the only woman. How did they accept you? How were you treated? You know, I just had a sister and I didn't have any brothers and lived in a sorority house in college. So all of a sudden I was dumped into this for literally a fraternity and they hazed me. It's just crazy stuff like they had a remote car and every day they'd be waiting for me to come in and then they chased me down the hallway with a remote car uh, while I got my coffee, you know, to go to my desk. And I had one guy that would throw super sharp pencils up on the ceiling of my office and they'd stick out of the, you know, the spongy stuff up there. And so I'd go to my office and there'd be like hundreds of uh, pencils on the ceiling or <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, it just never stopped. And and the other culture that was kind of hard for me to pick up on was the drinking and partying. That was part of the you know male bonding, and and it was expected. And it was expected to entertain customers and take them out and and go drinking with them. And you know, I had never really been much of a drinker, and my parents weren't at all either, for no reason other than just wasn't. So that was kind of a new thing to get used to too. It was all very eye-opening. <laughs> so how did you navigate that? I mean, and what toll did that take on you as a person? Well, things would happen that, you know, I really thought hard about because, like, every year they would have a roasting and for all of the traders, all the commercial guys, the asphalt traders and the, the pipeline traders and whatever. And those are like the gods of the oil industry. And it got kind of vicious and they would drink a lot before this roasting that they had every year. And they told me I shouldn't go because I guess it would get kind of X-rated. And I thought long and hard about it. And I thought, well, I should be able to go. And I went and it was very uncomfortable because they were all watching me the whole time to see what my reaction was. I, that was really a, a difficult one because I kind of, that was like a no-win situation because I felt if I didn't go, it was kind of sending a message. And if I did go... I don't know. That was a difficult one. And then the other thing I had was the only other women around were secretaries. And they have an, a secretarial women's group in the oil industry called Desk and Derek. And they were always trying to get me to join it. And I wouldn't because I didn't want to be classified as a secretary because I, I was a petroleum products scheduler and traders. You asked me how I approached it. I, I approached it with much thought. Did it get better the longer you were there? I think they did. It took a little bit. You know, I just had to have a lot of humor with everything, right? When things would happen, I just would kind of make jokes about it. I had a vice president come in to my office one time, and he came around to my side of the desk, and he was smoking a cigarette. This is how crazy, right? Smoking a cigarette in the office. And he put a cigarette, his cigarette on my desk and was getting very inappropriate, you know, getting way too close and things he was saying and this guy was a really big deal and you know so I just kept making jokes out of everything and not making a production and then he left and afterwards I was started getting harassed about why was this guy in my office right so then you know then immediately oh she must be having an affair <laughs> starts and 
you know, I just kept making jokes uh, jokes about it. It was kind of weird. He was in my office, and so I would just crack jokes about it. So that uh, humor was my way of uh, trying to navigate. Gosh, so not only did you have this superior being inappropriate with you in your workspace, but you had to defend yourself to the office idiots about what he was doing in your office, which brings up a good point. When you're the only woman working in an all-male environment, it can feel like you're always being watched. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that and that's very uncomfortable. You know, so many things that my daughter takes for granted were a big issue for me, right? And puts a lot of pressure on how you handled it. I kind of felt all along the process, because again, I'm like, was always the only woman anywhere I went in the oil business. There were a lot of eyes on me and I had to set the standard and do the right thing. And I felt that I had a mantle of uh, responsibility (laughs) along the way. And that is a heavy responsibility because what you do is paving the way for the women to come behind you. Yeah. Selfishly, that wasn't so much the motivation. It was a lot of the motivation was not failing, right? I'd like to say that that was my um, motivation was to create this, you know, great pathway. (laughs) But honestly, I think it was a lot about not failing. (laughs) Talk about not failing. I don't think you need to worry about that, girlfriend. In 1995, you founded Pinnacle Petroleum and then you grew it into a $200 million company. So what made you decide to start your own business? Well, I kind of was thinking about it all along the way because I wanted flexibility to be a mom and I always kind of wanted my own business. I uh, always wanted to be the boss lady. I had built a petroleum distributorship department with the company I was at. We were doing that time Yeah, we were doing a lot. It was like 30 million a month in revenue. And I had built that from ground zero. And then the owners uh, sold the business. And so they basically sold this business that I felt was mine. It it wasn't, it was theirs legally, but to another entity. And I didn't even get a bonus that year. You know, I'd made all this money for them. And then, then again, had made all this money when they sold the business and they didn't even give me a bonus. And they had actually would not give me a contract either. All the other vice president men had employment contracts with negotiated bonuses and whatever. And mine was just a management discretion bonus. And so when they sold it, I just quit and said, that's it. I'm going to just go do my own thing. My dad always said, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I was so angry that I was going to move heaven and earth to make sure that the business was uh, successful. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, just you and I having conversations makes me remember things. I got a phone call from a guy that I dealt with in the industry, and he said, yeah, me and, you know, he named, rattles off, I don't know, four or five guys. And they say, we, we've been talking about it, and we, we just don't think you're going to make it. <laughs> That's what he said to me when I started the business. And it wasn't, he wasn't putting me down. They just generally were saying, you know, it ain't going to work. And so I was super, super motivated. What leadership traits did you use to lead in a male-dominated workforce? Um, I think what I do maybe a little differently is I'm really honest with staff. I'm very authentic about what's going on. I want them all to have buy-in. You know, I want them to know and understand what, what we're dealing with and what's happening and 
you know, behind closed doors, acting like I don't know it, like I don't know everything. You know, if I don't know something, I talk to them and say, you know, we got this issue. I don't have, uh, I'm not sure what to do here. Does anybody have any suggestions? And uh, I think it really empowers staff and they feel part of something bigger and, and, and that they matter. I believe that might be a little bit different of a feminine trait than possibly a male. That's exactly how I lead. I consider myself a servant leader. And I found that getting that buy-in, and I'm sure this is why you do it as well, is because it gives everyone ownership and it makes people want to get out of bed in the morning and come to work and they've got ownership in something and they're going to be that much more productive and that much more excited to, to do the job. I truly believe that is a lot of it. I believe that, well, actually, it's been scientifically proven that, you know, if you've got different experiences and come from different backgrounds, then you have different ideas to offer up. And it's so true for us. Sometimes accounting will have an idea on some of the commercial stuff that we're doing. And, you know, I had a, a, a order taker for dispatch one time come up with an idea on how to process the orders a better way and we implemented it immediately so I saw an article one time in forbes and it says what are five most important things to uh, millennials and it was casual work environment which we have you know I, I give them flexibility in their schedule somewhat i mean they have to be here you know eight hours but they have a bit of flexibility dogs in the office i swear to god that was one of them which we have feeling like they're part of something bigger which we really work on. We're always working on our message and who we are and how we're different and how we, how, where we sit in the market. And, and we have a whole YouTube video for anybody at Starts that they can kind of understand what our culture is and then how they, and feeling that they can impact their job and, and their situation. And so that article just profoundly affected me. And I think about that a lot. So I, I really try to empower everybody so that they keep involved because again, we're grinding out and we have a lot of widgets that we grind out every day. And I want those people that are processing all those widgets to, you know, not just go numb in the brain. I want them to feel better about what their role is in the whole process and why they're important. That's amazing. You're a big believer in women supporting women and having not had the mentors and the support growing into your success, uh, you belong to different women's groups. Do you want to talk about why that's important to you? Yeah, you know, when the kids were younger, I didn't do any of the peer-to-peer groups because I was just so busy with all their sports activities and, you know, homework and all the other stuff. I kind of wish I'd started sooner because it was so great finding women that were dealing with the same kind of issues that I were. Some of the the ladies that uh, weren't working, you know, were concerned about different things than I was, you know, whether a customer was going to pay or, you know, I had a truck roll over as the driver alive kind of stuff, you know, it's a little bit different kind of stuff that I'm thinking about. I'm in two different women's presence organization, WPO group. I really like those. And I'm in a lot of other groups too, and book club and, and Bunko, and, and I'm just big on women supporting women, period. You know, not just in the workplace, but everywhere. And my good friends are the ones that have gotten me through everything, so work-wise or, or personal, and, and so that very important aspect to my life. What would you say is the greatest lesson that you've learned? Can Or can you identify one major lesson that a woman in one of these groups provided to you and it just sort of changed your, your thinking? 
I think more than anything was just the support. We, we did an exercise one time where I got up and spoke about something and the ladies all wrote down something, their thoughts and feelings or, or ideas or responses to, I, I think it was a problem that I was trying to deal with that I was looking for some peer support on. And I literally kept that paper. They passed it around the room and, you know, it said stuff like, she's got it handled. She just doesn't realize it. She's more than capable. This, this isn't going to be that big a problem. It was just the support that I think they thought I was more capable sometimes than I thought I was. And that, that was really special. I think that's what the sisterhood is all about. What's the biggest obstacle you've had to endure throughout your career? You know, I, I'm a type overachiever and a perfectionist. <laughs> and, you know, I just always, always trying so hard to do the right thing and be the best. And I can be and realizing that I could relax a little. And, uh, you know, I think this COVID was a good year of really honing that skill because <laughs> there was just so much going on that I had zero control over. So, you know, I just got to let go and go with the flow and, and just make decisions as, as they came. So what's the biggest thing was probably just managing me. <laughs> I don't know that many men sub, you know, second guess themselves as much as women and, and worry about the outcome and worry about people's feelings and, you know, worry about whether or not you did the right thing and, you know, that kind of stuff. And by now, most of that is second nature to me. So, you know, because I've honed it. So I need to just relax and, and go with it and not second guess myself all the time. You know, it's interesting that you have been in this male dominated field, and yet you're so willing to be vulnerable and express yourself. That takes a ton of confidence. I think that the vulnerability has been a component of my success because, you know, I, that's another thing I tell my uh, workers is you don't want to be the wide spot in the road, right? If you're the wide spot in the road, everybody's running you over. I'd rather be, you know, on the sidelines and you talk to people genuinely and authentically and say, I don't know this. I don't understand this. Can you please explain it? And I think I've appeared less threatening and people will then step up and try to help you. And somehow still maintained uh, femininity. Having gone through everything that you've gone through, what one piece of advice you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? I get asked that a lot. And what always comes to mind first is, you know, just have faith in yourself. I wasted so much energy worrying and fretting and anxiety and, you know, almost always my initial reaction to everything was you know, was the right decision and on track. And I wish I could have, could go back and do it again and, and just, you know, relax a bit more. That's, that's really what I say. How about on the business side? I think there should be more training in college courses on hiring that can make or break you. And I've had just incredible employees and I've had employees have caused so much damage and destruction along the way. And I think that is a skill set because if you can pick the right people to surround yourself on your journey, and, and it, it sure makes it a whole lot easier. That is great advice. 
before I let you go, I want to share my favorite motto with you because you embody it. She who attempts the absurd can achieve the impossible. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I have a I have a little thing on my desk that says, be so good they can't ignore you. Yes. From one girl who refused to be ignored to another. That is awesome. Liz, you have been an absolute delight. I enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you, Gina. So interesting. I actually have never met an FBI agent before, and the first one I meet is a woman, so cool. <laughs> I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLosborn.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.